The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You can make uh, old mice young again. These mice are much more active. Their organs uh, regenerate and repair themselves much better. possible to uh, not just slow down, but reverse aging. Welcome to the Mentory TV podcast and Thrive with Patricia Falco-Bekali. Welcome back to another edition of COVID-19 from Crisis to Creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Fakobekali, your host. Well, with over half a million lives now being claimed by the COVID-19 crisis, I thought, let's talk about life. Let's talk about good life and a long good life. So why not look at how we age, why we age, and how we can perhaps not only slow down aging, but perhaps even reverse aging going forward. And for that, I did invite one of the top experts on the issue of longevity. And he's also an investor in a venture capital fund investing into technologies that actually look into age tech, for example. I've invited Dr. Chris Verberg. Chris, thank you so much for joining me here on Mentorate TV. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, Chris, before we start our conversation about aging, why we age and how we can slow it down or even reverse it, let me quickly introduce you and your amazing curriculum and what you've done in your young life so far to our Mentorate TV community. Um, you are a medical doctor and, uh, as I said, one of the top researchers here in Europe when it comes to longevity. You're also part of the faculty of the Singularity University, a very famous think tank over in Silicon Valley. You're also a partner at a venture capital fund, the Longevity Vision Fund, which is a 100 million US dollar fund, and it was created by Sergey Young. No pun intended, it is really his last name, Young. And you uh, published your first book, Chris, when you were 16, and it was a nonfiction science book. By the time you were 25, you had three of them out there. And uh, by the time you were 28, you created the term nutrigerontology. We'll talk about nutrigerontology a little bit later, but today we're going to focus also on this. The Longevity Code, the book you've uh, written and published, giving us a little bit of a secret on how to slow down aging, what we can do on a low-tech level. And on a high-tech level, when it comes to our own aging process. Chris, what is aging anyway? 
Well, aging is, a, 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 biologically speaking, a fascinating process. Uh, it's, it's very complex, but the last uh, 20 years, we learned more about aging and why we age than the past uh, 2,000 years uh, before that. So uh, it's, it's a very complicated, uh, but a process that's amenable to interventions, because what we have learned the last years is that it's possible not just to slow down, but even partially reverse aging. And that, that's, despite its complexity, it's, it's, uh, we, we can tweak it. And that, that's uh, one of the biggest discoveries in, in the past years in, in the aging field. Um, a lot of people think that aging is just a question of wear and tear, and that's uh, partially correct. But we see also aging is a problem of uh, not replenishing everything uh, properly. Uh, because even in children, things wear uh, out and down, their cells get damaged and, and uh, parts, comport, uh, comp uh, specific uh, compartments of the cell and so on, they get damaged, but children can replenish it very quickly because they have a very a young stem cell pool and they have very young cells and organisms and they can repair the damage very quickly. Because in, in, eventually everything is turned over in our body, uh, even uh, cells that, uh, that can stay in our body for, for our whole lifespan, like neurons, uh, they are completely replenished or rebuilt from scratch because almost every atom is replaced every 20 years or so in our body. So it's mainly a question of being able to repair everything correctly and then to maintain the information correctly to enable these repair processes uh, going on. Uh, so there, there are two ways to impact that aging process. Um, uh, and, and to improve the repair and to reduce the damage. Uh, one is a low-tech approach, which is lifestyle, of which nutrition is the most important technology we have to live longer, uh, but also sleep, uh, ha happiness, uh, positive psychology, exercise, and so on. Uh, the other approach uh, to live longer and healthier is biotechnology. Uh, and these are new uh, breakthroughs we have seen in the last five to ten years. Some even like still, still currently happening, fascinating technologies um, to, uh, to not just slow down aging, but partially reverse it. An example is through epigenetic reprogramming, in which it has been shown in the scientific studies that you could rejuvenate uh, organisms. So you can make uh, old mice young again. So these mice have gray fur. They have bald spots on their fur. They have cognitive decline. They, uh, they move less. They have uh, atrophy of the muscles. And then you epigenetically reprogram them through upregulating uh, Yamanaka factors, which reprogram the cells epigenetically. And you see that these old mice become young again. So their gray fur is shiny black again. These mice are much more active. Their organs are, uh, regenerate and repair themselves much better. And I would like to exactly look into that, Chris, if we may. We're going to look at the low-tech approach uh, a little later on, which is basically nutrition, how you treat your body, how you think about your environment yourself, which can add many, many years to your life. But let's go the high-tech way. Because I'm thinking to myself, looking at my research, that the pharma industry, the healthcare industry, is more and more replaced by the tech giants, that it really is the tech giants such as Google, such as Apple, such as Amazon, that are pumping millions of dollars into the research of the technology, which will help us live longer. So the high-tech approach. And let's start there with something that is a very controversial issue, which is when we start really interfering with our gene pool. Meaning that evolution, and I want to just just uh, you know harp on that a minute, if I may, Chris. Evolution has always been going on due to natural selection. 
However, with technology entering into the picture, it seems that we can have a selection by human choice, the humans generating technology, which can manipulate, without any negative connotation here, manipulate DNA, snip it away, change it, modify it to the, uh, to the better in order to give us a better chance for a longer life. Tell us a little bit about DNA editing, for example, as one of the fields you are also looking at. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so DNA editing is a fascinating new technology. It has been developed very recently, uh, first discovered around 2012. So it enables, in fact, to change genes uh, in a living individual, in an adult, um, uh, much faster, much more accurate, uh, uh, much cheaper than ever, ever before. So this is like really a huge leap forward. And in fact, we are at a big at a, uh, we are a bit at a paradigm shift, or let's say at a crossroads uh, for the evolution of our species, because for the first time in the 200,000 year old history of our species, Homo sapiens, we will be able to uh, tweak uh, our own genes to uh, take into our own hands our genetic destiny. Uh, for example, you could change a gene that gives you more stamina. You can change a gene that uh, protects your heart, but at the same time, uh, at the same time, uh, improves cognition. Um, so, the, 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 let's say the possibilities are, uh, uh, of course, huge. And uh, some gene editing uh, experts and philosophers uh, speculate that um, in the few, in the next hundreds of years or thousands of years. Uh, we will see our species split in different species because uh, some humans will uh, genetically modify themselves much more than others. Uh, of course, the gene technology like CRISPR-Cas and, and all the uh, variants uh, is still not uh, uh, perfect, far from it. Eh? There is still the risk of off-target mutations and so on. But you still see, as happened uh, in, uh, at the end of 2018, with the first uh, Chinese scientist that uh, modified genetically embryos uh, to make children born who allegedly would be immune to HIV. Um, that was the first example of, uh, let's say, um, uh, yeah, upgrading humans. I would like to go through also 3D bioprinting, for example, and stem cell technology in order to upregulate, as you were just saying, the human being, the human body. Uh, but before we're going into that, uh, you know, um, DNA editing has become, as you were just saying, so cheap. So there's a lot of biohackers out there and they get their little yeast packs and they start twiddling with them. And I wonder to what extent, you know, you go from biohacking to potential bioterrorism, because I can imagine that when you can fiddle quite cheaply with a DNA set, you can do that with viruses, you can do it with bacteria, you can do it for positive good, but you can also do it for negative good. And I'm not trying to kind of lay out any kind of conspiracy theory with COVID-19. However, in terms of a moral risk or the responsibility accountability in that industry, in your field of research, tell me a little bit your standpoint there. Mm -hmm. Yes, there is definitely uh, the risk of bioterrorism uh, because these new technologies enable almost everyone to start to modify organisms uh, uh, in their home, like I said, on their kitchen table uh, uh, almost. So in, in that sense, you have the risk of a bioterrorist uh, uh, genetically modifying with these new technologies a bacteria, so it becomes resistant to all known antibiotics. It's not that difficult effect to do. Uh, you can create a virus that uh, uh, can cause cancer and that can 
can be um, uh, given and passed on to people by just like a common cold. Eh? So you, you cough, you infect somebody, and instead of just a common cold, they, they can uh, have uh, they can get lung cancer. I wonder to what extent one can also back engineer once, uh, uh, you know, a virus comes out or some sort of uh, no bacteria really starting to affect human beings, whether you can kind of back engineer whether it was something that was artificially created or it just really sprang out of nature. But I think that is an issue for another conversation, Chris. I would like to continue our fascinating conversation about the high-tech approach to longevity because there is so much money being pumped in by the technology companies so many venture capitalists looking at that field. And of course, it is our eternal wish to live forever and at the same time be forever young. Um, 3D bioprinting. Now, Chris, all right. I, 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 between you and I and the Mentorit TV community, when I read that we could or I could potentially, you know, uh, 3D print the cartilage of my ear, so reprint my ear, I lost it in an accident and can be recreated and reattached all the valves of my heart. You know, it's I don't great, you know, fantastic. However, it does make you cringe. How far are we away from this being our daily reality possibility and also to have like a set of my organs stowed away somewhere, uh, either 3D printed or perhaps grown in a genetically modified pig, for example, for me to just kind of change when I'm, my heart is wearing out, when my kidneys are wearing out, when my whatever is wearing out. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, 3D bioprinting is, is a fascinating area. It's still very early, in my opinion. Uh, there is a lot of promise, but uh, still very early. Um, so um, there, there are a lot of hurdles to overcome with the bioprinting. Uh, first of all, uh, you need to be to to print organs. You need to be able to print uh, blood vessels, and that uh, has been very difficult. But in recent years, we have seen some breakthroughs that enabled uh, printing uh, printing of very fine blood vessels, uh, and that. That that's a good step forward, uh, but then still uh, the problem is scaling up. As for to bioprint tissues uh, at the size of an organ, you need to print uh, billions and billions of, of cells and so on, and that's not easy. There are companies working on that. Um, I believe more in uh, instead of printing the organ from scratch in the lab, which is still very difficult, I believe more in uh, harnessing nature. Uh, for example, you can grow the organs in, in pigs that have been genetically modified uh, to grow organs that won't be rejected when you implant them into humans. Uh, so there are companies like Harvard, uh, affiliated companies like eGenesis, uh, working on genetically modifying these pigs. And that way in the future, if you're like 80 years old and your heart is worn out, uh, you can get a heart uh, uh, yeah, from a pig transplanted into your own body. The heart is genetically modified, so it won't be rejected. And you don't have to take immunosuppressive uh, drugs uh, to prevent the rejection. Of course, some people will think this is a bit of a, a not a, uh, yeah, a appetizing idea to also sacrifice these pigs. And I understand. Um, uh, so some scientists are also trying to grow these hearts in, in, in the lab, uh, in bioreactors and so on. Uh, but still, it would be much more easier to let nature do the job and, and, and grow the organs in living animals. Uh, a lot of people eat meat and they just eat pigs for, for their food. So, uh, yeah, growing these pigs for their organs 
uh, is perhaps then uh, not too far uh, an ethical step for, for most yes, people. Yes, yes, I think there is there is a lot of you know scope for an ethical moral debate when it comes to science and interfering into you know God given life. Um, and uh, I don't really think we should touch on that one. We try just try to see what really is is happening in terms of the technology that is developed and what this technology could really do to us human beings in a positive sense, okay? Uh, yes. Without the morale, without the ethical issue, uh, it's a debate I think that will never ever end. There will always be controversy. However, I think if you can somehow intervene into, into a body, into a cell that is sick and make that basically better <laughs> uh, to increase the survival uh, chance of that particular person. It might be a good thing, but that is my, my personal view. Um, let's, let's move on from high-tech to low-tech. Um, and Chris, in your longevity code, which I, you know, which I really, really appreciate it, so thank you very much for, for that copy. I found a few things that I found, and I'm a, bit of a, I'm a bit of a longevity nerd, so I have The Blue Zone here. It's a great book. I'm sure you know that one. Younger Next Year, a very, you know, quite a dated book. And now I come to the point, which is in, your, in one of your chapters, you talk about the negative impact of carbohydrates and proteins, believe it or not. <laughs> and cross-links and cross-link damage and cross-link uh, uh, breaking um, in terms of uh, the nutrition. So here, the low-carb living is another one, forever young, and also, of course, the, the keto diet. Uh, and, and I wonder, you were talking about uh, the diet having a tremendous impact that we can really tweak our aging process. And you came up with nutri-gerontology and the hourglass diet. Take us a little bit through it. What is the main focus of it and how easy is it really to live by it? I approach diet and nutrition from a whole new angle, from a whole new viewpoint. I approach a diet from aging. So for me, the best diet is a diet that slows down aging and uh, staves off aging-related diseases like heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, macular degeneration, which is an eye disease, osteoporosis, and so on. So the best diet is a diet that impacts aging and slows down aging. Yeah. So, for example, uh, one of the reasons why we age is because of accumulation of proteins uh, inside and outside our cells. And when we get older and older, our cells even get suffocated by the protein uh, accumulation, and that contributes to aging-related diseases like Alzheimer's disease, which is caused by specific proteins accumulating in the brain cells and around the brain cells, to vascular aging, in which proteins accumulate in the blood vessel wall and so on. So knowing that proteins play an important role in aging. Uh, you can already infer beforehand that a high-protein diet, like the classic Atkins diet or the paleo diet, where you have to eat a lot of uh, protein, uh, will accelerate aging. Uh, and that's also what we see in studies. And on the short term, a high-protein diet improves your health, sort of. Uh, you lose weight if you are on a high-protein diet. Uh, you improve insulin sensitivity. Uh, you improve cholesterol levels. And people say, well, I feel much better with a pro high-protein diet. But that is short term. So if you look at the long term, too much protein intake 
accelerates aging and increases your risk of aging-related diseases. So while on the short term, you lose weight, you feel better. And, and there, therefore, there are so many proponents still of a high-protein diet. But from an aging science viewpoint, it's not that healthy, especially on the long term. Uh, another example uh, is, for example, cross-linking. And one of the reasons why we age is because of sugar cross-links that are formed uh, between the proteins that make up our tissues. Uh, for example, in our skin, uh, the collagen uh, proteins are glued together with crosslinks, um, and these crosslinks they uh, in fact yeah, make the tissue much more stiff and less flexible, um, and that plays a role in wrinkles in the skin, but also hardened uh, blood vessels, uh, which contributes to uh, hypertension. Um, so, if you eat a lot of sugars, you accelerate this cross-linking process. It's an interesting one with the protein because uh, you just think, okay, protein is lean, there's no sugar in there. However, it seems uh, there's a process called uh, neoglucogenesis, that if you eat too much protein, actually, it will also be converted into sugars, and it is the sugar that uh, not only makes you age because of the cross-links, uh, and then the cells become rigid, uh, but they also feed um, cancer. Cancer uh, is something that feeds of glucose as if there was no tomorrow. In fact, uh, ketogenic diets often uh, are used as part of the therapy to starve cancer cells, to just starve yeah. them with sugar. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the growth hormones, you know, mTOR, IGF-1, and also how the cell, the, because mitochondrial damage is exactly another element in aging, in the aging process, how we can avoid going there. So if we say protein, not from animal proteins, is it really a cleaner burner to go and let's say take you know, fetal proteins through lentils, through beans, you know, pulses in general. What is mm -hmm. your Yes, well, you raised a, a few very interesting uh, subjects. Uh, we know that these keto diets, they can slow down tumor growth a lot. And this might seem contradictory with what I just said, uh, because often you uh, go into a ketogenic diet by, um, by yeah, reducing the carbs a lot, and you do that by replacing the carbs with a lot of protein or a lot of fat. Um, I think if you do have cancer, or you, um, uh, in fact, the best way to get into ketosis is not by reducing the carbs and eating huge amounts uh, then of fats, which is not that healthy because uh, fats, uh, they have the tendency to accumulate very easily. Also fats uh, create inflammation, uh, specific uh, fatty acids can stimulate the immune cells directly. So you have these high fat, low carbs diets. Uh, I, I'm not a big, big proponent of them. And you also have this high protein, low carb diet neither. Uh, uh, so the best way to get into ketosis is by just eating almost nothing. Uh, and uh, that way, uh, we see that if you fast uh, for three days at least, uh, so there are a lot of different fasting uh, uh, schemes. Uh, you have uh, the alternate day, uh, day fasting, you have people eating only in an eight-hour window period, you have people fasting three days every month. We see, in fact, the best way to fast is to do three days, because after three days, uh, you activate all kinds of repair mechanisms uh, in the cells and the regeneration of stem cells and repair of stem cell colon and so on. And these effects start to uh, transpire after three days. What I would suggest is to do a three-day fast every new season, for example. And when the summer starts, when the winter starts and so on, you do three-day fast uh, to really get the maximum benefits. Uh, and not by uh, eating very little carbon and a lot of proteins or a lot of fats. Just eat nothing uh, and, of course, drink, um, take some electrolytes like calcium, potassium, sodium, and magnesium while fasting, and, and some multivitamins. And, and, and that's the best way to get into ketosis. 
Um, then to answer your other question about uh, growth hormones and so on, uh, indeed we see the, the food we eat is, is not just very calorie dense, but it really activates uh, the growth hormone pathways. And um, uh, take, for example, uh, uh, meat, but also milk, especially milk. In fact, it uh, creates huge surges of growth hormones and uh, activation of mTOR, which is an important aging switch. So the more mTOR is activated, it's an intercellular protein, uh, the faster you age. So let's say meat um, and, uh, and milk and so on stimulate these aging pathways a lot, uh, uh, these growth hormone-like pathways. Um, so that way to reduce the intake of, of red meat, uh, uh, of milk, uh, which is a very strong activator of all kinds of aging processes. Uh, so a lot of people of the diary industry or professors uh, they don't uh, know uh, a lot about aging, unfortunately. So they say, well, milk is great because it contains calcium and so on. Uh, but it contains... Uh, broccoli has a lot more calcium and broccoli than a glass of milk. <laughs> anyway. Well, well, if you want calcium, uh, there is a lot of calcium uh, to be found in broccoli and then specific vegetables and so on. Uh, you can still take a supplement. Uh, also, the discussion about should we take supplements or not is fascinating. Uh, you have all these different camps saying... Supplements is just making expensive urine. Uh, you have say people sparing. <laughs> it's a precious one, isn't it? <laughs> somewhere right, somewhere wrong. Uh, it's very complex, very interesting. I devoted a whole chapter on why we need supplements because even if you eat very healthy, it's almost impossible to take enough amounts of supplements to enable your maximum lifespan potential. And if you say, how did they do it then in prehistoric times before taking uh, before these supplements were available, well, we just died much earlier uh, because of external causes of death, but that's another discussion. Now, I think it is an absolute fascinating debate and, and looking at your, you know, your hourglass, your hourglass diet is very, very, very interesting that you actually, you do like coffee and green tea because of the antioxidants. The odd glass of wine is on, on the broader side, which I see. The sugars, as you were just saying, definitely very, very uh, little, and uh, most of it is going to come through veggies. Um, before I'm going to ask you a little bit about what you foresee in the long term for the technology of aging um, or combating age-related diseases and issues, um, and uh, let me quickly just ask you in terms of what is the main driver here technological development. I look at the top list of the longevity investors and I see Jeff Bezos there. I see uh, Jim Mellon there. Um, I see also Sergey Brin there. I see Larry Page both from Google, of course, uh, Ray Kurzweil. I mean, there's so many companies looking at this. Is this a good business considering you're also part of a venture capital fund? Is that something that you see in the long term really not only attracting money, but really coming up with solutions that will shift the, the well-being of our society. And if yes, what does this do to the debate that we seem to be so many already on this planet? Why live longer? Is there enough space for us anyway? Mm -hmm. Yes, these are very interesting questions. Um, so some people believe that the longevity industry uh, will be the biggest industry ever uh, uh, created uh, because almost everyone wants to stay healthy and young and fit and dynamic as long as possible. Um, so um, in that sense, there is a lot of potential in, in that field. Um, as a medical doctor, I'm very fascinated uh, in slowing down aging and reversing aging uh, because it's the best way to keep people healthy. 
What aggravates me a lot is that uh, countries are spending billions of dollars uh, and euros to investigate specific aging-related diseases like Alzheimer's disease or heart disease, but they are not targeting the root cause of all these diseases, which is aging itself. So, um, you're, so imagine that we could cure all heart disease. We have, we have a medication and, uh, um, and that nobody gets a heart attack anymore. People will hardly live any longer, about 2.8 years or so, uh, if we could cure all heart disease, uh, and which is very little. Why? Because if people don't die anymore of a heart attack, they will die of another aging-related disease, like they will die from Alzheimer's disease or cancer and so on. So therefore, it's important to target aging itself, because the same processes that cause aging cause all these aging-related diseases, like cancer, heart disease. Yeah, but that's bad news for the pharma industry isn't it? To look at prevention, Chris, right? Uh, your question was? I said, I said, sorry to interject, but that would be bad news for the pharma industry if we start looking at the root cause, which would be preventing disease in the first place, because the pharma industry is, of course, there to cater for uh, curing whatever went wrong. Well, that's an interesting uh, uh, remark. Um, in that sense, um, the pharma industry still uh, uses a bit of the old-fashioned paradigm, like we have to treat the symptoms of individual diseases. Some uh, big pharma companies are starting to realize that the best way to uh, treat these diseases is, in fact, by focusing on the root causes of these diseases, which are which is a um, and I think pharma industry could do very well and uh, investors to invest in these uh, technologies that address aging itself uh, because that will enable the best return on their investments uh, because uh, we see that a technology that slows down aging will probably uh, much more likely to, uh, um, to be successful in clinical trials uh, when you develop the drug and test it. Uh, because you go to a root cause. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, medication for Alzheimer's disease failed so miserably. Uh, billions of dollars have been, uh, euros have been spent into uh, trying to uh, find something for Alzheimer's disease all failed. Why? Because they are uh, focusing on a top-down, uh, let's say, a very downstream effect, a small little cogwheel in the complex machinery that causes Alzheimer's, which is mainly because of aging. Um, so if you focus on aging itself, you have much better uh, uh, chances of developing a successful medication. I wonder. So... In the near future, considering also all the investments going in there in this this uh, sector really ballooning, what are the two or three cornerstones we could even see in our generation really making a difference to society's health, Chris? I think in, in the near future, uh, we will see a small molecule that could slow down aging a little bit. Um, and then in the further future, um, we will see uh, biotechnology, uh, not to just slow down, but to uh, reverse aging. So we have companies like Life Biosciences, um, which uh, use all kinds of different approaches to treat aging. Um, it's a spin-off from Harvard uh, University and so on. Um, and uh, one of their companies uh, focuses on epigenetic reprogramming. And I think that's a very interesting field because during aging, the epigenome becomes dysregulated. And the epigenome is the molecular machinery that surrounds the DNA and that uh, determines which genes are active or not. And the older you get, um, the more genes are switched on that should be switched off, like cancer genes and uh, more, uh, protective genes that uh, should be switched on or switched off. Uh, so that's because of the dysregulated epigenome. Um, and we see that if you epigenetically reprogram the cell, uh, you immediately undo all kinds of other aging-related damage. Um, looking back at your career and your life path so far, if you had to pass on, share something to you know the next generation, what would that be? 
Well, um, a few things. Um, f- first of all, I think it's very important to be very critical. Um, uh, critical thinking is, uh, is, is uh, something that uh, should be cultivated as much as possible. So you have to be critical for what you read in the media, uh, what you read also in scientific papers, what you hear from people. So always uh, do your homework, do diligence and, and be uh, critical. Um, um, second thing, uh, I think, is, um, is knowledge. Knowledge is power. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's very important to read. Um, so I've been reading since I was very, very young. Uh, I love reading and exploring uh, new worlds, uh, whether it's the human body or the universe or, or philosophy or sociology or history. So, um, yeah, knowledge is the new gold. So if you read three books about a subject, you know more about the subject than 99.999% of people. Perhaps the third thing uh, that, I, that's, that I find also very important is, uh, is be nice and be generous. Now, I, I love this. Uh, be generous, be kind, be critical, and know your stuff. Chris, I think in the very short time that we've known each other, you are all of this, uh, all of you, of what you said you are actually living. Thank you so much for being with us here on Mentory TV. Fabulous book. Thank you again for uh, sending me this edition. And yeah, it was great to have you on the show. I wish you all the best and keep up this amazing work you're doing. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm. 